This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. You fellowship with other believers in Christ today, so welcome. I'm glad that you came to church today. We're going to continue in our series called Broke that we started last week. It's a financial series, and we're kind of piggybacking off of uh, our Dave Ramsey stuff that we're going to be starting. And so I'm actually going to end this series next week. It's just going to be a three-part thing, and then we're going to kick off on the Dave Ramsey thing on Sunday evenings. And we're going to go into a new sermon series after next week called Hot Button Issues. So just be praying for me on that as I'm just praying and asking the Lord for exact direction on everything that uh, we're going to talk about then. But today... We're going to enter into our second message in this Broke series, and the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is called A Position of Faithfulness. You can also follow along on version if you have your phone or your iPad or whatever. You can just go on that uh, Bible app and search for a live event in your area, and you can follow along on there as well. Before we get into this message, though, I wanted to go ahead and give everybody just a quick update on something that we had mentioned a few weeks back. Um, we finished our marriage series called I Want a New Marriage, and uh, we include DVDs and all that stuff with it, and ask you guys that if you would like all that package together in like a small group study kit or whatever, that we were going to make that available to you, and we are. Um, our deadline just had to be pushed back a little bit. My wife's family uh, had a death, and I had to leave, and we had some other sicknesses and things go on amongst the staff, and things were just simply delayed, and one of the good things that kind of came out of it was we only ordered uh, 25, 26, something like that of those uh, cases that we thought we would need for packages for the series, and we had 34 people sign up, so we had to go back and order more. So that's a good thing. So uh, anyways, just want to give you a heads up. Those things are going to be available soon. I'm hoping in the next week or two, but just wanted to let you know in case you thought we forgot about you. There were just a few things that came up, so we ask uh, uh, you to just uh, forgive us on that. We'll make sure to get those to you ASAP on that. And last week I shared um, with us about how uh, money is directly connected to our hearts, And I talked about how we handle it reveals our passions, it reveals our interest, and it reveals ultimately how we perceive God. We talked about how everything that we have truly belongs to God, and we are simply managers. We're managers of what He has given us for His glory, and whatever gives Him glory, we know benefits us, but the purpose of it is to give Him glory. Amen, somebody? Well, let's bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this message. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for everyone here. I thank you, God, that you give us ears to hear. And I pray, Father, that our heart would be good ground to receive the truth of your word as only your Holy Spirit can make relevant to the life of every person in this place, Father, regardless of what season of life they may be in. I ask you, Lord, that you would allow your word today to wash over our minds and to renew our minds, to think, God, in line with the way you think and the way you see these things so we can best live our lives in a way that would bring glory to you, God. We thank you so much that you are going to deal with our hearts today, deal with our mind, deal with our emotions, Father, and I thank you that your word is just going to continue to lead us and guide us into your perfect will for our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today as we talk about this position of faithfulness, the position that we're going to be talking about is something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and so if it makes you uncomfortable, good, because we're going to talk about the truth, and we're going to talk about the way that the Lord sees this, and not necessarily the way that perhaps you were raised or the way that you have always maybe perceived or stereotyped it. We're going to talk about the principle of the tithe today and exactly what that means. When you say that word, people freak out in church, and they go... Because they come from one or two schools of thought. 
And these are the two primary schools of thought that happen when we talk about tithe. One of them is this legalistic, law-sided version of tithe that is tied to Old Testament law that we basically look at, if I tithe, I'm going to get a lot of things in return and God is going to bless me. And if I don't, nothing's going to work right. I'm going to be cursed. Nothing's going to go my way. Everything's going to be terrible because I'm looking at it as a performance-based law issue. The other side looks at it as the law is completely done away with. There, you know, we, we don't tithe. We don't live by those uh, things anymore. And we're completely free to do whatever we want to do. And we're just going to live our lives however we want to live. And if we want to give, if we want to live by the principle of the tithe, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not important. It's not a big deal. And I'm going to show you today through scripture how both of those ideas are wrong. So there is another idea that if we look at the truth of God's word, we can see what he says about this issue and how it really brings liberty and it doesn't bring bondage or it doesn't bring a sense of not caring or taking my hands off of this issue and I don't want to deal with it, don't want to talk about it, it makes me uncomfortable, I don't like it. Because ultimately, when we do what God has created for us to do and set in order for us to do, it's going to bring him glory. We don't do it for our benefit. We do it for his glory. Oh, let me say that slow so I can say it some more because I don't think somebody heard me in here. I said whatever God wants us to do, it's for his glory. It's not just for our benefit or our honor. It's for his glory. You see, we need to understand that our lives are to be lived, to give glory to God, to point people to Him. We're not making a name for ourselves, trying to point people to us. We're trying to point people to Him. Because we need to understand that when it comes to the Word of God, that the Word of God is absolute, that it's definitive. It's settled. It's done. When God speaks, that settles it. That's the end of the discussion. What God has established is forever settled and it is forever true. God is not one that he would lie. God is faithful. Amen? Amen. You see, he's worthy to be trusted. His word, the Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse 2, is honored above his name. What? Think about that. He honors his word above his name. Think about how holy his name is. The Bible says his name is above every name. His name is holy, but yet his word is honored above his name. His word carries a lot of weight, folks. His word carries weight, and it is significant, and it is definitive. God honors his word above his name. The issue we need to settle in our hearts today is that God honors his word because it brings glory to him, not honor to me. I said God honors His Word because it brings glory to Him, not honor to me. When I lived in Oklahoma, we lived in the town where the University of Southeastern Oklahoma State was, and that's where the NBA player Dennis Rodman went to college. It's a little bitty college, and the basketball arena is tiny. When I went there, I was thinking, wow, this is where Dennis Rodman went to college. You, you remember Dennis Rodman, right? He was the bad boy of basketball. He was the guy that had the different colored hair and the guy that was causing just as much trouble on the court as he was off the court. And I love basketball. I'm I'm a huge basketball fan. And and I grew up watching Dennis Rodman get into all kinds of trouble. And I I just thought that he was just just hilarious to watch. And here I am living in the town where he went to college. And so I can't wait to go to a, you know, to a southeastern Oklahoma State University basketball game. This is where Dennis Rodman played, man. I walk through the doors of the gymnasium and it's a dump. 
I mean, this was a joke. I walked in there, and I'm like, this is a terrible place to play basketball. There are high school gyms of tiny high schools that are better than this gymnasium. I can't believe this is where he played. And then he went to the NBA and won championships. And I, I can't believe this. This is craziness. Well, a couple years go by after I first went to a basketball game, and Dennis Rodman comes to town. And he talks to the president of the university and offers to build a multi-million dollar arena. So he's going to give his money for this arena. But the stipulation was is that they call it the Dennis Rodman Worm Center. <laughs> Southeastern Oklahoma State University said, we're not going to do that. Said, if you want this to be all about you and all the things that were connected to the things you did here, then we don't want your money. But I think a lot of times that's how we look at God. We look at God as if I'm going to give, as, as, as if somehow I'm investing in God's incentive plan so I can really get stuff I want as long as He brings honor to me. In other words, I'll give to you if you honor me. And that's how we look at God. Just like Dennis Rodman looked at giving that money for that new gym. I'll give to you, God, if you honor me, if you give me what I want. I remember I grew up like this, that our pastor would have us hold our tithe in our hand before the offering was received, and we would actually claim what we were believing God for, and we would put the money in the bucket as our faith seed towards that thing. And, and the way it was taught is if some way, you know, that God is going to bless us with things that are going to fulfill us and make us happy, and Jesus is somehow insignificant or not enough in and of himself. That now I need things to make me happy or make me feel significant or complete or successful. I need, me, I need to be successful in the eyes of the world, so I have to have stuff in order to be successful. So I'm tithing towards stuff. I'm investing so I can get something back. And that's how I was looking at it because that's what I was taught. And folks, let me tell you, I would put money in the offering, claim my car or whatever I was calling out, believing God was going to give it to me. And that's what I was sowing for. That revealed what was in my heart. Because money is directly tied to our heart. You know that, right? You don't believe money is directly tied to your heart, then let somebody try to take a dollar out your hand. <laughs> my father-in-law and I one time went to take an old dryer from a rent house of his to a scrap metal yard. And when we took it there, there was a man that worked there that was going to help us unload it. And as we dumped it out of the back of the trailer, it fell down and coins went everywhere out of this dryer. And that man that worked there immediately proceeded to get down and start scooping up these coins. And my father-in-law said, what are you doing? That's mine. And they're getting down there and these two grown men are fighting over pennies. You want to mess with somebody's money? Yeah, you are going to be messing with their heart. Because the Bible says in Luke 12 and 34, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So in other words, your money is directly tied to your heart. It reflects, it exposes who you really are. It shows some things about you. How you handle your money shows a lot of things about you, and it ultimately shows how you perceive God. It shows how you look at Him. Is He really faithful? Is He really someone that's worthy to be trusted? And when we look at giving, when we look at tithing as a way of means to get material things that we want, then that brings honor to me. That's God honoring me for me being obedient and giving to Him. But when we look at God being glorified and God being the benefactor, when He's glorified, our benefit is secondary from the purpose. 
In other words, the purpose of giving is not so I can get stuff. The purpose of me giving is so I can glorify God. Hello, somebody. You see, when God is glorified, yeah, there may be some benefit attached to it for me in some way, shape, or form. I can't tell you what way, shape, or form. Because a lot of people think that if I give money, that God is going to give me more money, and that's how it works. And we think that somehow that being affluent is the goal of life. Now, some people are affluent. Some people do have means. Some people do have a lot of money. And a lot of people who don't have money look at those people and they think, if I had what they had, my life would be better. If I could just have money like they have, my life would be easier and better. And we look at people that are affluent as like a goal that I am not complete unless I have what they have. But what we don't understand is that people who do have great means and who are affluent have a heavy responsibility that others do not understand. We don't see that side of it. We just see stuff, and we think, I want stuff. So if God is going to allow me to give to get stuff, what someone else has, then that's going to make me happy. But what you don't understand about people who do have great means is that there's a heavy weight that is associated with that. That's why we don't understand the responsibility sometimes that comes with that. We just want the stuff. Because sometimes you having more stuff could be the absolute worst thing for you. Because you can't handle it. Sometimes you having more money could be the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you. You take out your lotto ticket. Pastor, pray for my lotto ticket. Oh, anointed with oil. Oh, I pray they have my number called. Oh, Pastor, pray for me. No. No. Never going to happen. You see me? Never going to happen. Because people who can't handle it, They don't understand that weight. They just think that that's going to fix their problems, and it's not. A lot of people think, if I had my boss's job, man, I would show him how to run that company. I'll show him. I could straighten this whole thing out in a week. And we say things like that because we're arrogant and we don't understand the weight of responsibility. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to say, man, I can't wait until one day I'm going to be a senior pastor. I'll show that guy how to run a church. Let me tell you something, folks. The weight and the responsibility you don't understand until you're sitting in the chair. A lot of us think we want our boss's job till we get it. I thought that I would be able to do everything that I wanted to do if I could just have this type of authority and this type of position, but I didn't understand the responsibility and weight. I had to learn some of those things. Some of those things the hard way. Just like people, when they think that more money is the answer to their problem and they're jealous of someone who has more money than them, you might not be able to handle it. You see, the Bible says it like this, to whom much is given, much is required. Ben Parker said it to Peter Parker like this, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) And Jesus said it in a parable like this. He said that there was a man who had servants and he gave them money. And then he came back after a great time had passed and see what they did with that money. And to the ones that had increased the money, he said, you've done good, my good and faithful servant. He said, you've been faithful over the little things. Now I'm going to make you a ruler over many things. In other words, I'm going to increase your what? Responsibility. You see, it wasn't just his pocketbook that increased. It was his 
responsibility. We miss that sometimes because we just look at the guy who had five talents, made ten. Woo, man, this guy is a genius. I want to know his investment strategies. No, he was wise with what he had been given, and because of that, he could be trusted with more. Not because he gave in an offering and was claiming something that he thought was going to make his life better. Ayo. Amen or oh me. Because here's the thing. Faithfulness increases responsibility. That's what it does. Faithfulness increases responsibility. We look at stuff as the answer. And now there's nothing wrong with you accumulating things and you having things. But if that's something that you feel that you have to have in order to be happy and significant, you're missing the mark. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It doesn't matter. Because we need to understand it's not about the stuff we accumulate. It's about are we faithful with what we have? Are we being responsible with what we've been given? I love the way that God addresses Moses. Back when he was going to stand before Pharaoh and try to get the Pharaoh to let the Israelite people go because they were in slavery. He was going to go confront the top dog and say, let my people go. But before he stood before him, he told God, he said, I can't do this. I, 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 I can't even talk well. I stutter when I speak. And God says, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I have a staff. What happened with that staff? He said, throw it down on the ground and it turned into a snake. And he said, whoa, this is crazy. Look at what God did with what I have. And then he took that in before Pharaoh and that was one of the signs that God was with Moses. In other words, he was trying to get something through to Moses. Listen, you got a stuttering problem. You're not the best speaker in the world. A lot of people don't like you, but I'm still going to use you anyways because you're faithful. When we're faithful to God, that ends up producing fruit in our lives. When we're fruitful, guess what? We're fulfilled. So we're faithful... We're fruitful as a result of being faithful, and then we're fulfilled in life. If you're not fulfilled in life and what God is calling you to do and what He's created you to do, odds are you're struggling in different areas of being faithful. Are you being faithful to God? Because he, He's not telling you to be faithful as if it's some type of reward or incentive program. He's telling you to be faithful because of His goodness and allowing you to be drawn to that to cause you to be faithful and then you're fruitful and you're fulfilled because you, you, you can look back on life and you can say, wow, the things that I'm doing to bring glory to God, I'm so much further along in life than I was at this point last year. I'm growing in my fulfillment because I feel like I'm actually doing something with my life that matters. Not that I'm just chasing things that I think are going to make me happy. Not that I'm just chasing a position that I think will satisfy me but that I've actually come to a place in life where I'm understanding that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness and fruitfulness leads to fulfillment and I am increased in my responsibility and that doesn't always mean more money. When we're faithful, it doesn't always mean more money so it's not some scheme that I'm trying to get you to buy into here today. I'm trying to show you the principle set forth in God's Word of faithfulness and what God entrusts us with. Because if money were the answer, then let me tell you, there are some people in some third world countries that are persecuted right now that are extremely faithful to God, but they must have a lack of faith 
Or they must not be giving or tithing enough because they're not living in a big house. Or because they're not driving a nice car. They're actually scraping for food and, and trying to protect their family from being found out that they're having a secret underground church because if they were found out, they would be killed immediately. That's happening right now in our world today, in North Korea, where Kim Jong-un just killed 33 Christians just yesterday. So tithing is not the answer in the sense of me getting stuff, and that's the goal. Amen, somebody? That can somehow be skewed as a very Americanized idea of how God works, that somehow I give to get. No, I give to glorify God. And if God is glorified by what I'm doing, then I want to be faithful in it. Amen? Because I want my life to consistently, faithfully be giving glory to God. And the more I'm faithful, the more I'm fruitful. The more my responsibility increases. You see, when we're faithful, that leads to that fulfillment. And the tithe is a tool of faithfulness. And what that tool does is it positions our hearts to glorify God. When we're faithful to that, we are glorifying God by doing what? By acknowledging our position as a manager. It is a consistent acknowledgement of my position as a manager. Understanding that what I've been given does not really belong to me. It's all God's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen? So when I give, the principle of giving, the principle of tithing is a tool of faithfulness to position my heart to glorify God. Both Abraham and Jacob gave 10% of their increase before the Mosaic law of tithing ever came into existence. There was something about giving, there was something about positioning their heart in a way that they wanted to glorify God with their increase. And they did that before there was ever a law. Now, if we want to get into law, and we want to talk about the law of the tithe, if you're one of these people that is Old Testament law of the tithe, let's go there for a minute and examine that so we can understand exactly what that means. The law of the tithe consisted of stuff, not money. Okay? Never consisted of actual coin. Consisted of stuff. There was a grain, wine, and oil tithe. There was a first fruits tithe. A second tithe. A poor tithe. A cattle tithe. And all of this was a part of the law. This was mandatory for them to give of this tithe under the Levitical law. These guys were to give all of this stuff at different times of the year as an offering to God. It was a mandatory thing. And it actually, even though we say tithe, 10% is what the tithe, the tenth, it actually equated to about 22% of the best of everything they had. Because you couldn't just bring like your sick animals. You couldn't just bring, you know, the crops that didn't turn out very good. No, you had to bring the best of everything. So you're talking about 22% of the best of everything you own, and they would put it in places that were called storehouses. Now, in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah rebuilds the temple, he talks about what a storehouse is. 
Nehemiah 12 and 44. He instructs there to be storehouses built in the temple of God, and we're actually going to take those things that are given as a tithe and put them in these storage areas. The purpose of these things was a portion of it was for the Levites, for the priests. That's what a Levite was. It was for the priest. A portion of it was for the poor. A portion of it was for the widows. A portion of it was for the orphans. A portion of it was to take care of strangers. A portion of it was to be able to manage the temple and to take care of the, the needs and the things within the temple. So there were different needs and uses of the tithe that was brought into those storehouses that Nehemiah said needed to be built in the temple. This was the purpose of all of this. So God is instructing and making it mandatory under Levitical law that these different tithes be brought into the storehouse. And Malachi 3 is the most frequently quoted area of Scripture when it comes to teaching on tithing because I grew up in a very, I don't know what to call it, other than um, very give-to-get type of church. Grew up in a very much materialistic church, I guess we could call it. And in a lot of the teachings that I heard, Malachi 3 was probably worn out in our pastor's Bible. Because Malachi 3, we would immediately go over to verse 10, and we would immediately hear a message that would go something like this. Church, will a man rob God? Let me tell you something. How are you robbing God? You're robbing God and tithes and offerings. And let me tell you something today, church. Do you want to rob God? No, no one wants to rob God. He said, I'll curse you with a curse. And that's what I heard growing up. We went straight to verse 10, and we heard that. What we didn't hear was we didn't hear the verses before it. When you read the Bible, when you hear someone speak, when you study the Word of God, you always, always, always need to look at it in context. Don't ever pull a scripture out that you like what it says and base your whole belief system on that one scripture. You need to look at what was being said. Because it helps us to understand the heart behind what was going on. And in Malachi chapter 3 what was going on. You can read also what was going on in Malachi chapter 2 and Malachi chapter 1 was that the prophet Malachi was being given a word from God to the Levitical priests who were mishandling the church. They were mishandling what would be what we would call church, but they were mishandling the temple. They were mishandling their oversight of the people. You can read in verse uh, chapter 2 where Malachi was giving them a rebuke from the Lord about how they had been neglecting the orphans and the widows, how they had been neglecting taking care of other people, how they had actually begun to twist the words of God, and they had actually begun to use it as a way to take care of themselves instead of taking care of the people, like God had given them the responsibility to do so. And this was a rebuke. So when it comes to Malachi chapter 3, Malachi is still in that rebuke of the Levitical priesthood. Because when Malachi wrote this, he didn't name chapters and verses. We know this, right? Right. This was something we put in here to help us to reference Scripture better. But when this was written, it was given as one prophecy to the Levitical priesthood and to the people to let them know this is what's going on. Because another thing that the people were doing is that they weren't bringing their best anymore. They were bringing actually sick animals in. They were bringing actually some of the worst of their crops, and the priests were still accepting them because the priests wanted to store all these things up for themselves. It was like, oh, I don't care. It's going to benefit me anyway because I'm not managing it properly. 
It was the priest's job to manage those things in those storehouses we talked about. So let's look at this together in that context of the prophecy. Malachi chapter 3 said this, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is that talking about? Jesus. This is a prophetic word saying Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to come. This is my messenger. He's going to come, the messenger of the covenant. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Because he's a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify who? The sons of Levi. Who were the sons of Levi? The priests. He's going to purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the former days, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way will we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And now try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there is not room for you to contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful lamb, says the Lord of hosts. Now that we understand what's going on, and we've actually read earlier in context to see what's happening, we can get a clearer picture of what Malachi was dealing with. He said, you have been robbing the Lord through your management and your acceptance of the way you're handling the tithes and offerings that are being brought into the temple. You're actually robbing God. He said, and because of this, he said, you guys are cursed with a curse. He said, even this whole nation. And what did he mean? He meant, you guys are, you've been struggling with your crops. You've been struggling with your animals because you haven't been bringing me the best. You have been taking these things away from me because the earth is the Lord and the fullness there's up. In other words, they're not trusting God with the best. What they're doing is, is that they're just bringing things and the priests are mismanaging it. And God says, this is equated to robbing me when you're mismanaging my funds, when you're mismanaging those things that are brought in because there was a specific purpose for these things. And he said, Bring all these tithes into the storehouses we talked about earlier. Remember? The storehouses in the temple. He said that there may be food in my house. And he literally meant food in my house. Like actual food. Okay? That's why he was talking about bringing stuff in. Not just piling up a bunch of money. He said actually bringing food into these storehouses so there will be food in my house. So if there's need, if there's famine, you're ready to handle it. He's saying, I'm wanting you to manage these things. He said, now try me in this and see if you do this, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing upon you, there's not room enough to contain it. That opening up of the windows of heaven is literally referring to God sending the rains to their land. How do I know this? Because he says right there, he says that your vine will not fail to bear fruit for you. 
He said, and the devourer is going to be rebuked, and he's not going to destroy the fruit of the fields. What is he talking about? He's talking about the insects, the locusts, that were a big problem. He said, those things are not going to be an issue because I'm going to take care of you. Your crops are going to bear. You're going to have food. You're going to be taken care of. He said, and all the nations are going to rise up and call you blessed because they're going to see that the Lord has been faithful to what he said he was going to do. The Lord is faithful and it's going to give glory to whom? To him. Amen, somebody. So here's the thing that we need to understand. Is that he was literally talking about opening up the windows of heaven, rain. He was literally talking about rebuking the devourer, the locust. He was literally talking about putting food in the storehouses. So we need to understand that's what was going on. And when we understand that in context, we can look at it and go, Okay, pastor, but what does that mean for me today? You're talking about tithing. And I've heard a similar message to what you talked about maybe hearing growing up in the church you did. So what does that mean for us today? Well, we know that Jesus came and did what with the law? Fulfilled it, right? That's what he said. He said, I came to fulfill the law. So we are not no longer under that Levitical law because if we're under that Levitical law of that 22% of all those different ties, then we've got to do all the rest of them too. You can't just pick that one and neglect the rest of them, right? You can't just pick the law of the tithe and then forget about the law of sacrifice. So you guys better start bringing your cows and your chickens and all that stuff, and we're just going to have a big old time and we're going to sacrifice. You can't do away with one part of the Levitical law and not do away with the other part. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it. But let me tell you something about the law. Even though the law was fulfilled... We can still look at the law and see the principles within the law of the faithfulness of God. We can still look at the principles of the law and we can still see that these things were for the people's benefit and ultimately God's glory. There were laws on cleanliness. Some of us might need to read the laws. I kid, I kid. But we look at that and we go, you know, there, there were laws. There were laws about mold in your home. There, and what were those laws for? Those laws were to help the people, to protect the people, take care of them in times of sickness, help to give them a little bit of direction. And then there were the laws of the sacrifice, which was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Amen? There is now no more sacrifice because He paid it all. There's no more shedding of the, the, the blood of goats and lambs because the Lamb of God was slain for you and for me. So he fulfilled that law in every way. And the law of the tithe was fulfilled as well. But the principle of the tithe still exists, just like the principle of the rest of the law still exists. And those principles are things that we're not necessarily under obligation to do. And they're not things that we're necessarily under obligation to do as if somehow they would earn us righteousness or favor with God because they won't, no matter how good we uphold the law. We can try to uphold the law and be the best people on the planet, but if we don't have Jesus, we're condemned. Because the law brings death, but the Spirit gives life, right? But there are principles of the law that show us the heart of God. And that's what tithing is. The principles of the law are very much alive, and they're given for God's glory, and they're given for our benefit. So let's look at Malachi 3 again in light of our understanding, no longer being under Levitical law of the tithe, and see what the principle of the tithe can show us. The principle of robbing God in this context is mishandling our finances and not honoring God with them. 
if we're mismanaging, mishandling our money and we're not being good stewards, that's not going to honor God, is it? Is it? No. It's not, if we're mishandling what God has given us, because ultimately, who does it belong to? God. So if we're mishandling what He's given us and we're not being good stewards of it, not being good managers of our money, it's not bringing honor and glory to God. It doesn't bring honor and glory to God when we're out there living beyond our means, when we're out there racking up tons of credit card debt and not able to pay the bill. Our lives aren't honoring God when we're doing those things. Why? Because we are freaking out and stressed out. And we have extra added stress that we chose to jump into and get into. And then we're living beyond our means and unable to pay our bills, take care of our families. That's not going to be glorifying God. We can't be generous to glorify God when we're living in those types of situations and under those circumstances. God is a generous God. And when His people are generous, what does it do? It glorifies Him. Puts His kingdom agenda first. The storehouse that the Bible talks about in Malachi 3, bringing the tithe into the storehouse, was that designated chamber. Remember we talked about from Nehemiah 12 and 44. That chamber was managed by the priest. Now the storehouse principle, I believe, would be the local church that would be charged with properly handling the designated tithes and offerings given for furthering the gospel. And it's our job to be wise stewards over that and to take care of that, making sure that it's being used to further the gospel because that's a way it's going to glorify God. The opening of the windows of heaven principle is reiterated by Jesus in Matthew 6 and 33 when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God never instructs us to seek after things, does he? No. Never, never, never does he instruct us to seek after things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He said, don't you know God knows you have need? If he takes care of the flowers of the field which are here today and are gone tomorrow, he said, if he takes care of the birds of the air, he said, how much more valuable are you? He said, after such things the Gentiles seek. He said, don't seek those things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. I like the way that the Amplified Bible says, it says all these things will come about as a matter of course. In other words, it's a natural response to seeking the kingdom of God first. Putting God's agenda first and saying, okay, God, what is your agenda for my marriage? What is your agenda for my kids? What is your agenda for my job? What is your agenda for my finances? What is your agenda for my life? How can my life best bring glory to you and point people to Jesus? Rebuking the devourer for our sake today is not really locust, unless you're a farmer, maybe it is, I don't know. It might not be locust as it was in that particular prophecy, but it is the enemy. In other words, God is saying that what he blesses us with, get this, what he blesses us with is good and perfect. Because God's blessings are good and perfect, not temporary. Because our stuff runs out and wears out, right? Light boards burn out. And we have to manually flip the lights on. And the pastor chooses to wear a black shirt that day. And it's very hot up here. And I can barely see your faces, but I know you're smiling and you love me. And I love you too, and I hope you feel that because I can't see you. <laughs> Stuff wears out. No matter how nice of a car we drive, it's going to wear out. It's going to be old news one day. Just like back then, maybe the latest model was the two-hump BMW Camel. <laughs> He's going to die one day. 
You know, the one that doesn't spit as much as the others. That was the camel model to have. But that stuff's going to wear out. Stuff's going to wear out. So when we look at the blessings of God, don't look at them as always being material things. If God does bless you with something material, guess what the purpose of it is? To glorify Him. And because He knows you're a good steward and He knows you can handle it and it's supposed to be used for His glory. And when it's used for His glory, the, our benefit is secondary, right? So rebuking the devourer for our sake is not talking about our stuff as much as it is talking about laying up treasures in heaven where things are not going to rust or mold or wear out. Because when we invest in the kingdom, when we give to the kingdom, when we are putting Him first in every area of our lives, we're laying up treasures in heaven. That's why I think that the local church is just such a great body of believers that is accomplishing things for the kingdom of God, that is laying up treasures in heaven with everything that we do. Because we're not in this to try to make money, right? As a pastor, I'm not in this trying to make money or trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to get up here and talk about how wonderful I am and how great I am. No, I'm hoping that through my, my things that God has given me and blessed me with and enabled me to do in the position He's given me, that He's glorified. It's always really awkward. I'm just going to be real honest with you, okay? That's how I roll, all right? You guys know I'm just honest with you guys. That sometimes, and I'm not saying don't do it um, because it is encouraging, but when people come up to me and tell me how great of a sermon that was or how great of a message that was, I appreciate those things, but I don't know what to say to you in return. I really don't because I want what God has called me to do to point to Him. Not point to me. And, and, and I appreciate you appreciating that. But more than me, I want it to give glory to Him. Because I want to lay up treasures in heaven where a moth or a thief can't steal or it can't be destroyed or corroded or corrupted. And I want it to point people to Jesus. And that's what our heart should be for our lives. Was there a time in my life where I wanted to be about, all about me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I wanted to be the best pastor, the best speaker, the best this, the best that, and I wanted everybody to know it. But God does a little thing called brokenness. And just when you think you've gone through that period of brokenness in your life, and you're like, man, there's nothing left, He finds something else. And you go through these different periods of brokenness, and man, I, I've been broken so many times, I'm sure that He's not done with me in that area as well. But realizing, I want my life to glorify Him. So you know what? I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to speak the truth even if it causes people not to like me, right? I'm willing to stand for the truth even if it causes me to be ostracized from certain circles. I'm willing to live my life for Him in a way that will bring glory to Him and point people to Jesus and not a way that will glorify me or somehow exalt me or be easy for me. That's a hard thing to say. Well, I take that back. That's an easy thing to say, but a hard thing to do. Because we all know things like that that we should say. Because they're good things to say, right? Just like giving. We know it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But where's our heart at in the thing, right? Because that's what God's looking at, right? God's not going, whoa, man, I saw that check you cut. Blessings are coming your way. Woo, woo, woo. You just pulled the right lever at the God casino. Cha-ching. 
And that's how we look at it. That's not how it is. Amen? Amen. And people that preach that message and people that teach that, I believe, are misleading the body of Christ to be very materialistic and they miss bringing glory to God. And it breaks my heart. The nations will rise up and call you blessed simply means that people are going to recognize that God is faithful through your life. And they're going to see His faithfulness because you're furthering His kingdom. Because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. God is a giver. Even when the Israelites were giving offerings to Moses for construction of the tabernacle, what did God do with the tabernacle? Gave it to the people. To do what? To glorify Him. Right? They gave from their heart to God for the construction of the temple. God, in turn, gives them the temple as a place to come and to worship Him. You see how it works? It gets to benefit me, but it glorifies Him. Just like Abraham, when he went and rescued his nephew Lot, the spoils of war that they took, he took a tenth of it and he gave it to the priest Melchizedek. But you want to know what he did with the other 90%? He gave it all away too. You want to know why? Because he's generous. Because he didn't want these spoils of war. That wasn't his reward. He said, I don't even want a strap of a sandal. That's how detailed Abram said, I don't want any of this stuff. I'm going to give the rest of the 90% away. He didn't want to keep any of those spoils of war because he said, let no man say that he made me rich. Whoo! He said, let no man say he made me rich. I'm going to give this all away. We see this all throughout Scripture that Abraham received a blessing, but it wasn't necessarily through his giving a monetary blessing. What kind of blessing did Abraham get? He got a child. And God said, you're going to be a father of many nations. You see the grains of sand, see the stars in the sky? Try to count them if you can. That's how many your descendants are going to be. And God is faithful, and he did it. Amen? Because God is a giver. And then, of course, the ultimate gift God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. So understand, we don't tithe to get. We give because it belongs to God and God is a giver. You see, it's my joy and my honor to give what is His for His glory. For the furthering of the gospel, for the increasing of the ability of the vehicle that is the local church to be the light and equip the saints for work of ministry and to spread the love and truth of Jesus, for us to love God, love people, and serve the world, to give in a way where it brings glory to God, to love on people, to be uh, able and equipped because of my stewardship and because I've been a good manager, I actually am positioned to be generous with what God has given me and what God has trusted me with to manage. I'm able to bless families when I hear about a house that was burned down and I want to be a blessing to them. I'm able to support works of people that are taking the gospel all throughout third world countries or who are doing an inner city work that may be rescuing people off the streets. I'm able to bless someone financially by helping them in their future, helping them through a difficult time because I'm able to be generous because I'm being a good steward of what God has given me. And then I, I'm being fruitful because I'm being faithful in my giving and I'm fulfilled feel like I'm doing something with what God has given me because it all is His and it all is to bring glory to Him. So I want to give you just a few things before we leave here that I want you to remember. Number one, giving is not an obligation. 
Giving is not an obligation, but it is an honor to God because it is a biblical stewardship principle that brings Him glory and it benefits His church and it benefits us as individuals. The second thing is, is that God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 says that God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful is actually a Greek word, hilarious. Isn't that hilarious? That is hilarious. And it means without restraint. It means with great excitement and great joy. And he's talking about the position of our heart. Because a hilarious heart. Hope you have a hilarious heart. That's not a good title for a sermon. Somebody needs to take a note on that. Remind me later. That kind of heart honors God. And it brings glory to Him. Number three. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And fruitfulness leads to fulfillment. I want you to understand faithful means consistently honoring God with what's His. I'm consistent in the fact that I don't allow my emotions or how I feel to dictate my position as a manager. I'm going to be faithful because I'm doing what I know God has told me to do when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. When I feel like it and when I don't. Remember, the best managers want to add value to what they're entrusted with to manage. I'm going to be consistent because I know God is faithful and He's called me to be faithful. Number four, when we're faithful over what He has given us, our responsibility increases so we can continually further His kingdom through our management, ultimately what's His, what belongs to Him. And then the last thing, true giving brings freedom not bondage. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because it reflects our perception of God, our trust in Him and His faithfulness and the freedom we have in Jesus. When we hear a message about giving or finances, people get so uptight. Why do they get uptight? Because they're worried about being preached at in a way that it brings bondage. When the Word of God is properly presented, it should never bring bondage. It should always bring freedom. Amen? Amen. It may bring conviction because the Holy Spirit may be convicting, but not in a bondage type way. Because the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under that law of sin and death. We are alive and renewed in Christ. Amen, church? So when you hear a tithing message like what you heard today, I pray that this message is one that was received in a spirit of freedom, not in bondage. Because in the words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time to play the bondage game. I will never use the Word of God as a tool of manipulation. I want to teach you the freedoms that Christ gives so you can walk in the principles God has established because it's going to bring glory to Him. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.